Friends, good morning and welcome again to McLean Presbyterian. My name is James and it's my privilege to open up the scriptures again with you. What a gift it is that we get to do this week by week. I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, we're continuing in our sermon series, Anatomy of the Soul, looking at different emotions in the book of Psalms and seeing how the scriptures equip us to experience the full range of human emotions in this life. Uh, Today we're going to look at the uh, feeling of uncertainty, the emotion of uncertainty that we all experience at some uh, time or another in our lives. And to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 19. You'll find this on page 456 if you have a pew Bible. Let's give our attention to God's Word. And as we read through it, maybe reflect, begin to reflect on how it speaks to some of the uncertainty in your life. Psalm 19, to the choir master... A psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Do you ready our hearts to reflect on this section of his word? Let's stand together. Father, we recognize that our wisdom is imperfect. Uh, There are so many situations in life where we're just not sure what we should do. And yet your wisdom is perfect and you desire to lead us, Lord. Lead us uh, by your wisdom that we might live the full lives that you have designed to your glory. So be with us in these moments, Lord, and would it be helpful? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You are our Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's the question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Life is full of these kinds of situations. Life is full of uncertainties. And and, and how do you approach them? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Whether it's our kids trying to figure out their place in the world. Maybe our graduating seniors trying to decide if and where they should go to college. Maybe it's our college grads trying to decide uh, what that next career step 
should be. Perhaps some of our young adults wondering if they'll ever get married or wondering if their current date is the one. Uh, Perhaps it's our young families deciding on kids, uh, how many, or where to send them to school. Or perhaps it's uh, questions over the budget. How much should you spend? How much should you save? How much should you give away? Perhaps it's empty nesters uh, wondering what the next season will hold. Or retirees looking for a new sense of purpose as they grow old. And in between, 10,000 decisions that need to be made. Decisions over where you're going to live and what kind of house you're going to live in and what kind of car you're going to drive and how you're going to care for aging parents and how you're going to move on from past regrets and how to deal with your difficult boss. It goes on and on and on. Life is full of questions and the answers are just not always clear. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Is there something in your life perhaps that you're wrestling with right now? A decision that you have to make? One that you see coming on the horizon? How do you typically handle such situations? Do you have a process? How do you, how do you navigate it? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, thankfully, God cares more about our lives than we do. Isn't that a beautiful thought? God cares more about your life than you care about your life. God spends more time thinking about your life than you spend thinking about your life. And some of us are self-obsessed and think about our lives all the time. And God still spends more time thinking about your life than you do. Uh, God spends more time thinking about the beginning and the end and the middle and the big picture and the small details. All of it, he cares about more than you do. And that itself is a freeing thought. Amen. Sermon over. Let's go home. Right? God cares more about our lives than we do. It's a beautiful thought. And because he cares, he communicates with us. And one example of how he does this comes to us in in Psalm 19 that we just read together. Psalm 19 is a wisdom psalm. Remember we said there are different types, different categories, different genre of psalm. Well, Psalm 19 is a wisdom psalm, which means it gives us principles to help us navigate the nitty-gritty things of life. Of course, it doesn't lay out some sort of formula, some sort of simple step process that will always tell you exactly what to do, but it does equip us to act wisely whatever we're going through. Remember, the key theme of this series, the Psalms equip us to experience the full range of human emotion, including uncertainty that we might be faithful to God's law as we await our Messiah. And as I prayed through this psalm this week, three things came to mind that I know I need to learn and that I always need to relearn. And then even when I know them, I need to do uh, a good job of putting them into practice. So let's look at these three things together. And as we do, maybe ask, how do they apply to decisions you're currently struggling with? You ready? What do we do when we don't know what to do? Point one from verses one through six, when we don't know what to do, we listen to creation. We listen to creation. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But these verses tell us that the world around, look at the world around, and it will tell you about God. Creation speaks a silent word that goes through all the earth, and there's no language, there's no culture, there's no place where such knowledge can be found. And you say, James, you're sounding like a hippie. 
I am having, I have real problems. I have actual decisions I need to make. Or I'm trying to diversify my portfolio and you're telling me to go outside and examine a tree. How is this helping me? How wide does this help me make decisions? How does this help me know what to do when I don't know what to do? Okay, preacher man, what does creation say? Well, let's look at verse 1. The heavens, we're told, declare what? The glory of God. Creation tells of God's might. Creation tells of God's power. Look at the world around and be amazed at God's power as revealed in all his works. Surely you've had that experience. Tell me you've had that experience of being in some scene, being in some situation, observing some kind of beauty and just being amazed at how big our God is. Um, perhaps for you it's, it's a, a river or a loch or an ocean or a cave or a canyon or a mountain or some bizarre animal or some uh, beautiful person. Uh, I know uh, right now my kids are in Scotland. Um, you know, we sent our kids to Scotland for six weeks this summer. And it's been a really strange experience. Because if you know our story, you know we were only married for ten weeks before we had children. Okay? And now they're gone for six weeks. This is like nearly as long as we have ever been without children. Right? <laughs> and Rosie and I, frankly, are having a great time. Um, <laughs> As well as realizing, like, we're not very good at this. Like, we keep on cooking, like, way too much food and doing nothing. You know, like, we're, we're kind of not really in the routine of just being too but It's great. We're having a good time. Our kids are also having a good time, right? And uh, this very weekend, in fact, they're on the Isle of Lewis. This is the wee island on which I was born. They're visiting my grandmother, their great-grandmother. And yesterday, I got pictures that they uh, sent me from a beach called Dalbeg on the Isle of Lewis. Dalbeg means we beach in Gaelic. And to me, it is, it is one of those places where I just experience the power of God. You go there and uh, it's, it, it's an unspoiled part of God's world. There's no trash, there's no tourists, there's nothing. There's a beach, high cliffs, wind, and rain. <laughs> and as you stand there, you feel small. As you stand there, you feel God is awesome. God is awesome. And, you know, where is, where is that place for you? Where is, where is that place that you've stood and, and just experienced the power of God? And then you remember that our world is just a tiny dot, right? One million earths would fit inside the sun. And the biggest star is 300 times bigger and 10 million times brighter than our sun. Surely you've experienced being in nature and experiencing that God is awesome. Francis Collins, famous for his leadership of the Human Genome Project and current director at the National Institutes of Health, reflected on his scientific work and said, how quickly the laboratory becomes the cathedral. Isn't that good? When we look at the world around, we should be amazed by God's power revealed to us in all his works. Well, How does this help us with decision making? How does this help us know what to do when we don't know what to do? Well, at first it sounds kind of hippie, but it soon becomes deeply practical. Why? Because so many of our decisions in this life, our difficult decisions, are just accompanied with this sense of angst. So where should we send our kids to school and will we screw them up if we get the decision wrong? Yeah? 
And, uh, you, you know, um, how much do we need to be saving for retirement? And are we going to end up sort of destitute and, and broke? And should I take this job or start that job? I mean, so many of these things are unknown. There's so much angst that accompanies our decision-making, and such fear works against good decision-making. Fear works against good decision-making because we end up doing things for the wrong reasons. We either make a knee-jerk decision because we feel better about that and it gives us a sense of security. Or sometimes we're, we're afraid to take a big risk that we, we really should take because we're just afraid of, of how things will work out in the end. Well, understand, you see the connection now? Beholding God in creation isn't prescriptive. It's not going to tell you exactly what to do. But it does provide perspective. It's not prescriptive, but it does provide perspective. The perspective that we need in order to make good and wise decisions that aren't based on fear, but are based on faith. Whatever we decide, we trust that God rules and overrules. If you believe in Jesus, you cannot screw up your life. That's good, isn't it? That's good news. You do this, or you do that. It will be okay. He rules and he overrules everything you do. Whatever you're struggling with today, you can trust him with that too. Beholding God's power in creation, listening to creation, creates this sense of internal rest. Enables us to inhale. Enables us to exhale. It gives us the proper perspective to make decisions here on earth. So whatever we're struggling with this morning, make these decisions from a place of faith. Knowing that God rules and overrules your way. Not prescriptive, but perspective. When we don't know what to do, start by getting the right perspective. Start by listening to creation. The second thing we see in our text does get a little more prescriptive, and that's in verses 7 through 11, where we see that when we don't know what to do, we should listen to creation, and we should also listen to the Bible. When you don't know what to do, open up this book. God's Word, the Bible, is given a number of different names in this section. Did you notice that in verses 7 through 11? All of which, all of these names highlight how helpful the Bible is in decision making. So look at verse 7, for example. The Bible is described as being God's law. That's his perfect will for our lives. Verse 7 again, the Bible contains God's testimony. That's his trustworthy wisdom for our lives. Moving on to verse 8, the Bible contains God's precepts. Those are his specific guidance for life's complexities. Verse 8 again, the Bible contains God's commandments. That's his authoritative declaration on what is right and what is wrong. Verse 9, the Bible contains God's rules, his judicial decrees that govern all we do. And so the Bible gives us both a moral compass to help us navigate our way through life and much specific guidance to teach us how to live. A moral compass to navigate and specific guidance or directions as well. And note too, I really enjoy this about these verses. Note how the psalmist doesn't just see the Bible as practically helpful. He also sees it as as beautiful. Did you notice that as we read? Look at verse 7. His law, what does it do? It revives our souls. His testimonies make us wise. 
Verse 8, the Bible gives joy to our hearts. Verse 8 again, the Bible enlightens our understanding. Verse 11, following the Bible results in great reward. Away with the notion that following God does anything but give you a full life. And so the psalmist declares, verse 10, the Bible is much more to be desired than gold. How much do you want gold? You want this more. Even much fine gold, it's sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. When we don't know what to do, we've been given a beautiful resource. We can come and listen to the Bible. It contains so many details to help us in pretty much every situation. Consider this A to Z. I wrote a list. A to Z. You ready? The Bible tells us what to do about anger, boredom, children, depression, ethics, fear, generosity, hope, infertility, justice, kindness, love, money, obedience, pornography, quarrels, retirement, sex, trust, unity, vocation, work, xenophobia, youthfulness, and zeal. I even got my X, Y, and Z. That was good. (laughs) And we could write lists all day. All day. Literally all day. Practical things we have to deal with that the Bible addresses, go. Listen, listen, listen things. The Bible is sufficient. We believe in its sufficiency, that it tells us everything we need to know in order to live this life of faith. And you know, the Bible also speaks to those topics that we maybe can't find chapter and verse on. Don't feel like you always need a chapter and verse because the Bible, yes, it gives these specific things, but also gives us guidance, this kind of moral compass uh, for those things that are are, are tricky or or controversial. Consider, for example, here's an example. Um, All the controversy surrounding uh, all things transgender. It's hard to find a particular chapter and verse, although Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Look at that later, right? Um, but even in the absence of a, a particular chapter and verse, consider how the Bible gives us wisdom to navigate this culture and navigate this issue. Five principles. Principle one, the Bible tells us really clear, as we move into this difficult area, the Bible tells us really clear, God made humanity, male and female, equally good and definitely distinct. God made humanity, male and female, but both just as good as the other, equal value, dignity, worth, but definitely distinct from one another. Principle two, since the fall, isn't this true? Since the fall, we've all struggled to accept ourselves. The fall brought alienation. Adam and Eve were alienated from the ground as the weed screw. They were alienated from God as they were put outside the garden, but they were also alienated from themselves as they covered themselves with leaves. And people have struggled with this in a whole variety of ways. Some people wishing they were taller. Some people wishing they had a different skin color. Some people wishing they were lighter or bigger or something other than what they are. Well, in a much more profound and serious way, of course, I can believe that some people wish they were born a different gender. But, point three, we flourish. Not when we live in accordance with our desires. But when we live in accordance with God's design. We flourish not when we live in accordance with our desires, but when we live in accordance with God's design. God has made each of us as we are. He made no mistakes. And health comes from submitting to his will for our lives. Principle four. The gospel gospel offers hope to all. The gospel offers hope to all. Only in Christ... Can we not just be forgiven, but also be all that we were ever meant to be? 
Only in Christ can we be fully human. Only in Christ can we be fully ourselves. Only in Christ can we um, actually live into the reality that our culture grasps after as it talks about being true to yourself. Only in Christ can we be all that we've been designed to be. Principle 5, Christians, believer, if you're a believer this morning, we should move into this world, into this culture, marrying truth and grace. Truth, yes, to hold fast to the simple truth that we are the gender God gave us. Grace, and that we have humility and season all our speech with salt. Now, you see how these five principles, I'm not saying they answer every situation, or always tell you exactly what to do, but they do equip us to move forward with grace while holding fast to those things that are true. It brings clarity to confusion. And amidst of all the gray, it says, some things are black and white. And on the basis of these, we can make decisions that are right. So, when you don't know what to do, what do we do? We listen to his word, both because it provides applications to a thousand specific cases and because it provides general principles that help us navigate the rest. And so we want to be a people of the book, a people of the word. We want to push back against that strange reality that we have greater access to the scripture than any generation in history and yet we read it it less than any generation in history. We want to be a people who just read a little bit every day. You know I'm a big believer in old school quiet time. Right? Uh, just try it. Okay, Read a couple of verses every day. It actually might change your life. Uh, when you're de- really dealing with difficult decisions in particular, then, then search the scriptures on these things. Pour into what the Bible has to say. Uh, examine how the Bible addresses the thing that you're wrestling with. Look for detailed applications. Look for guiding principles. You'll find that it's not just helpful but following it is also beautiful. So, when you don't know what to do, listen to creation. When you don't know what to do, listen to the Bible. The third, final thing comes from verses 12 and 13, where we see that when we don't know what to do, we need to listen to creation, we need to listen to the Bible, but also when we don't know what to do, we need to listen, Presbyterians, we need to listen to the Spirit. We need to listen to the Spirit. In verses 12 and 13, the psalmist asks, uh, who can determine his or her own blind spots? And it's clearly a a rhetorical question. Only God can search through the mixed and tangled massive motives that are within our hearts. And so the psalmist asks God to keep him from sin, to keep him on the right path. He's asking the Spirit to guide him as he moves forward in this life. And, and how many of us, if, if you're a believer this morning, how many of us have fallen into what we could call kind of a, a rationalistic perspective? Whereby the Holy Spirit has become the forgotten member of the Trinity. When he's actually the one that we've been given, Christ returned to heaven, sent us the Spirit to lead us into truth. Isn't that amazing? According to Jesus, it's better for us that he return to heaven and he send a Spirit instead. What an amazing resource. (laughs) What a beautiful reality that the Holy Spirit would live within us, that he would be 
in us that we would be able to follow his lead, that we can quieten our hearts and listen to him and hear an eternal perspective. An example of this in my life came back in 2011. Uh, where uh, we really felt the Lord readying us for the kind of a next season, a next step in ministry. And as we began thinking about this, an opportunity came quite out of the blue, which was to go back to Scotland, fully funded, and plant a church in my home city of Edinburgh. Well, we took a trip back uh, to explore this opportunity, and, and lots of things fell in place. But for some reason, I just didn't have a sense of peace. I didn't have a sense of peace about it. And I'm not sure, at the time, I I definitely couldn't tell you why. It's not like there was another opportunity in view, something else on the horizon. I just felt the Spirit saying no, that this wasn't what he had for me to do. Well, a few months unfolded, and our previous senior pastor resigned. And then, this congregation decided that a 30-year-old was the guy God had in mind. And it began to dawn on me that though I didn't know why I said no, the Spirit knew what he was doing. He always has um, inside info. He has secret intel. He has a perspective. He has a plan. And I couldn't be happier with how it worked out. But in the process, he also taught me to trust him with my life. That I can say no even if I don't know why. And he'll come through in the end. And when you and I, when we don't know what to do, we need to, we need to practice listening to the Spirit. When we don't know what to do, we make t- need to make time for silence and for prayer. Such lost disciplines in this culture where we're so connected, where we're so distracted. Take time to put everything away. To sit on a rock with Nothing but maybe paper and a pen. (laughs) And jot down the things that you hear as you commune with your God. We say no and yes as he directs and we trust that he'll lead as he sees fit. Isn't it a challenge? It's a challenge to live by faith and not by sight. Something in us says this isn't wise, this isn't right. It's a challenge to live by faith, not sight. And what a life it is. To follow God wherever he leads, even when we don't know what's right. When you don't know what to do, listen. Listen to creation. Get that perspective that we need. Listen to the Bible. Hear the specific applications that he gives. And listen to the Spirit and follow wherever he leads. And of course, you don't need to feel that you should do these things alone. God's given us each other for the path. So test what you're hearing with your friends. Community always brings light. In uncertainty, as in all things, we're always better together. And then, in the end, like the psalmist does, trust it all to the Lord. See how he ends the song in verse 14? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's our Lord. He's our rock. He's our redeemer. Jesus has died to give us life. And we can trust him with all the details. If you know him this morning, then you know that in him your story ends well. 
And so we move forward, not paralyzed by the uncertainties we're wrestling with, but living for him, resting in him. That's the life of faith. The Psalms, what do they do? They equip us to experience the full range of human emotion, including uncertainty, that we might be faithful to God's law as we wait for Jesus to return. Let's pray together. Father, it can be hard to believe um, that you care more about our lives than we do. But you have demonstrated that at the cross. Uh, You gave Christ and uh, he died, but then he rose and he ascended. And from there he rules and reigns. That we might not question what we're worth in your sight, but also might not question that... um, you'll continue to lead us in this life. And so, Father, uh, we come to you when we don't know what to do. We listen to creation, we listen to your word, we listen to your spirit, and we ask you to lead us, uh, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. Help us, Lord, to mature, to grow in our life of faith. So often it's easier for us to look for for human wisdom, uh, the latest blog, the latest article, the latest uh, op-ed, But Lord, what we really need is the perfect wisdom of our God. So, uh, Lord, help us not to leave these things untried. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.